Well, a table has been prepared for us where many of our teachers and people who are gifted with the ability to communicate God's word on a number of topics, they are preparing to serve us. And I pray that we would take full advantage of all of these classes that are going to begin next week. Um, this is historic for us being in this new location to be able to have Christian education on Sunday morning. Um, again, several classes are offered. If you have not signed up, please do so today. In the hallway, there are two kiosks that you can use. Also, you can go online, strongtowerbiblechurch.com, and sign up. Uh, but please sign up, because what will happen next week, this place is going to be crazy. I mean, it's going to be jumping. Uh, at 9 o'clock, we're going to have children's ministry going on. We're going to have student ministry going on, and all of these adult Christian education classes happening. So make sure you're a part of what's happening. Make sure you are plugged in and that you take full advantage of what is being prepared for you, that you may eat the goodness of the Lord. Amen, amen. Well, today I want to take a few moments to share a word with you. Um, in September, sometimes I'm going to get into another series, maybe a series on the importance of sound doctrine is what I'm really praying about getting into because I'm seeing that the church, um, we can't ever get enough of understanding what sound doctrine is, especially in this day and age where people are turning away from sound doctrine and they are embracing fables and lies. Um, and so, but, but until that time, I'm just kind of sharing a couple of things that are on my heart. And today I want to preach a message that is encouraging to me. But at the same time, it's puzzling. And then if I were to look at it again, it would be challenging. Uh, what I want to talk to you about is a passage that is one of my favorites. I've never preached it before, but I like to go to this passage from time to time to get encouragement. But also it rattles me because it puzzles me. But then it also calls me up because it challenges me. So join me by turning in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 24. That's the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 24. And as you're turning there, I kind of want to give you the theme of this wonderful book, as Calvin led us today in worship about the glory of God, it was as if God just nudged me and said, yes, we need the glory, the glory of the Lord, because that is what the theme of the book of Ezekiel is all about. It's about the glory of God. The glory of God found the prophet in Babylon, and the Lord called him into the ministry. The glory of the Lord is what the prophet would spend a lot of time talking about. And as he's preaching about the glory of the Lord, the people of God reject the glory of the Lord. And then there is an image that the prophet gives where the glory of the Lord departs from the temple. But then in the latter portions of this great book, we see the glory of the Lord returning back to the temple back amongst the people of God, namely the Jewish people of the Lord. 
So it's a powerful, powerful book. Um, In 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar was raised up by the Lord to come against the southern kingdom of Judah because Judah had resisted and rejected the glory of the Lord. So God had to send them into captivity. So in 605, Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city and there was the first deportation of Jewish men and women. Daniel was in this group who went from Jerusalem some 880 miles into Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. Uh, But then there was a second deportation in 597 B.C., where 10,000 of Israel's choicest individuals were taken to Babylon. And in that number was a priest, a man in the priestly line named Ezekiel. He and his wife were taken into captivity in 597 B.C. He may have been around 25 years old when taken into captivity. And five years later, the Lord called this priest to be a prophet. Ezekiel lived amongst the exiles in Babylon. He was with them by the river when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and gave him a vision of his glory And he saw what looked like a wheel to be in a wheel. And this cart with these angels circling it. And on top was this wonderful jasper, radiant rainbow. His words, he can't even describe what he's seeing, but he sees the glory of the Lord. And the Lord calls him to prophesy to his people who are there in Babylon in exile. Now, the thing about it, God told him, he says, I'm going to have to make your forehead as hard as stone. Because the people that you're going to speak to, although they are in captivity, their hearts are hard. So I'm going to have to make your forehead hard to be able to go up against their hard-headed souls. I'm going to make you strong. I'm going to make you a pillar. You speak what I put into your mouth to speak. They are a rebellious people. They won't listen. And Ezekiel prophesied for 22 years, and he preached to a people that did not want to listen to him. He preached to a people who didn't want to hear it because they weren't trying to hear God. It's a shame when God has to get our attention and he allows us to go into captivity and we still won't listen. But God is a patient God. You know how sometimes your kid will try to hold his or her breath to get your attention. And you can turn blue if you want, but I'm not changing on what I said. And God can hold his breath longer than we can hold ours. And he's just waiting for us to yield our will to him. So this man preached and he prophesied. His name, Ezekiel. Again, in the Jewish culture, when they would name their children, uh, names were very significant and pertinent to the circumstances in which they were born. Many times their names were even prophetic. But his mama and daddy, he's the son of Bootsy. That was my uh, father's nickname, Bootsy. And just like Bootsy Collins. And this man's name, Ezekiel, means strengthened by God. Or the one whom God strengthens. Ezekiel, strengthened by God. And as we're going to see today, he needed help 
with what God called him to. He needed the strength of God because there was no way he could fulfill his assignment without the help of the Lord. And there's no way you can fulfill your assignment without the strength that God provides. And so let's read a passage that you may not be familiar with. There's more in the book of Ezekiel than the valley of dry bones. There are so many great stories and prophecies and principles. So let's look at verse 15 of Ezekiel chapter 24. You should have found it by now. I gave you enough time. If not, just look to the screen. The Bible reads, also, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. Verse 18. So I spoke to the people in the morning and at evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. And the people said to me, will you not tell us what these things signify to us that you behave so? Then I answered them. The word of the Lord came to me saying, speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will profane my sanctuary. Your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes, the delight of your soul and your sons and daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword. And you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips nor eat man's bread of sorrow. Your turban shall be on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You shall neither mourn nor weep, but you shall pine away in your iniquities and mourn with one another. Thus, Ezekiel is a sign to you. According to all that he has done, you shall do. And when this comes... You shall know that I am the Lord God. As I mentioned, a passage that encourages me, but it's also a passage that puzzles me. And it's a passage that challenges me. So I want to entitle this message today, When God Doesn't Make Sense. Because what we just read doesn't make sense. And there are times in our walk with God and how we stroll through life that God nor the things of life will make sense. And because things don't make sense to us, we tend to think that maybe God doesn't care about us. That God doesn't see us, that he doesn't know what we're going through, that perhaps he is a cruel taskmaster when things don't make sense to us. But as Randy said, as Pastor Darrell said, as we spend time in the word of God, we recognize that the prophet Isaiah said that God's ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Because if God made sense to finite men and women like you and me, he would not be God. 
Because if the highest heavens cannot contain his glory, how dare we think that our left and right hemisphere of our brain can, can contain the awesome wisdom of our God. Which is why I'm so glad that God told me to trust in him with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding because my understanding is limited. My understanding, I'm looking through a glass dimly, but one day I'm going to know fully even as I'm fully known. I live by faith, not so much by knowledge because I can't contain it, understand it. I can't comprehend it all right now, but we'll understand it better (laughs) by and by. So when God doesn't make sense in this passage, God doesn't make sense to me. But he doesn't have to make sense to me to be God over me. He's just God. The thing that's created should not question the one who created it or the creator's ways. So by faith, I trust God's heart when I don't understand his mind. I trust the heart of God that he is love. Even when I feel like right now I'm going through an unloving situation. God took the prophet's wife away. God killed the prophet's wife. Does not make any sense to me. And not only that, God told him, don't grieve when I do it. You can grieve in private, but do not grieve publicly when I take your wife away from you. Because Ezekiel, you are my prophet, you are my mouthpiece, you are a sign to the people. I'm trying to get the people's attention. And since they won't listen to words, maybe they will listen to word pictures. And throughout this book, he's giving them various word pictures. In order to show how God judged the northern kingdom Israel, Ezekiel laid on one of his side, I think his left side, for over 350 days. And then in order to show God's displeasure with the southern kingdom of Judah, Ezekiel laid on his right side for 40 days. He would cut off his hair, cut off his beard. He would give all these kinds of illustrations to try to get the people's attention on God. And so God says, I did all those illustrations to work you up to the illustration of all. I've got to take your wife. And the way that you are to grieve publicly is to be assigned to the people because I'm going to take their wife. What are you talking about? They were married to the delight of their eyes, which was the temple that Solomon built. The temple that they left back home in Jerusalem when they came into captivity. Because Nebuchadnezzar would not only come against the city and deport thousands of Jews to Babylon, he would eventually, in 586, burn that temple down. And that temple had become the delight of the eyes of the Hebrew people. Their identity was more in the building than in the God who dwelt in the building through the Shekinah glory. And people have a tendency to worship things as opposed to worshiping God. And the Jewish people, when Jesus walked the earth, they too had building infatuation to the point where Jesus said, The one who built the temple is greater than the temple itself. And Jesus had to let them know that he was the Lord over the temple. 
So when he said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. They couldn't hear in the spirit because they were so inclined to the flesh, the building. And they said, he said he would destroy Herod's temple. And for that, oh, there was no exception. But Jesus was talking about his body. And so Jesus even said to that generation, he said, let me tell you something. Not one stone is going to be left where this temple is. Because once again, God had to tear the temple down to get the people to lift up their eyes and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I don't know where you are eschatologically, but I do believe another temple is coming. And even then, the Jewish people, when they get their temple back, their hearts will still not be looking to Yeshua HaMashiach. They'll still be looking to religious systems, but the Lord will allow that temple to be destroyed and desecrated by the Antichrist. And they will finally look to the hills. They will finally see the one coming from heaven and embrace Jesus, the Messiah, for themselves. So this stuff is heavy right here. This passage encourages me, though, because when I look at this, God said to him, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. God said that Ezekiel's wife was the desire of his eyes. The NIV says the delight of his eyes. In other words, they had a great marriage and God knew it. In other words, Ezekiel loved his wife. He was crazy about his wife. And isn't it refreshing when a preacher, a prophet, a pastor, a priest loves his wife and not everybody else's wife? Can I get amen? Isn't that good? Oh, Percy Sledge said it best. Calvin, he said, when a man Loves a woman. Can't keep his mind on nothing else. Oh, for Ezekiel, his wife was the delight of his eyes. Yet God still took her away from him. You see, a man is encouraged. Listen to this. To be drunk in the Bible with God's approval two times. Two times God says it's okay for his people to be drunk in the Bible. And the first way that God encourages us to be drunk is to be drunk with him, to be drunk in the spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be drunk in the spirit, not drunk with wine. Because just as wine controls a person's faculties that yields to the alcohol, it affects their eyes, it affects their mood, it affects what they say, it affects how they walk, it gives them courage, alcohol, it takes over, it's a spirit. So the Holy Spirit, when we yield to him, oh, he takes over what we say. He gives us courage. He he lets us walk upright. He gives us a kind of joy that the world cannot take away. So Paul says, be filled, be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Not wine. But then we're told in Proverbs chapter 5 that a man is to be intoxicated with the wife of his youth. So God says, husbands, you should be drunk with your wives. I know Beyonce talks about being crazy in love, but God came up with it first. 
But what happens is um, we were drunk. Then we stopped being drunk because to stay drunk, whether with the Holy Spirit or with your wife, you got to get a regular taste from now and again. You got you got to submit. You got to keep on drinking to stay drunk. And a lot of us, we get drunk and we wonder why we're not drunk no more. Well, you may say, man, look, I'm telling you, man, my wife is the delight and the desire of my eyes. My question is, does she know that? Because we have to make her feel a certain way. Because when the priest, prophet Ezekiel, loved his wife like this and everybody knew it, it was healthy for the community. When a man loves his wife, it's healthy for the family. Makes the kids more secure. They know mom and dad aren't breaking up. They aren't going anywhere. It makes that little girl develop her esteem a little bit more because she sees a healthy relationship in her home. It shows that young boy in the home how to love a woman. And the number one unit of society is the family. And if the family breaks down, society breaks down. And the number one piece of the family is the leader of that family. And that's, we're speaking of a traditional family, husband and wife. When that man is on fire with God. He's going to love his wife. His wife is going to be the desire of his eyes. It's going to help that family. That family is going to help that community, and it's going to show up in the local church. We can't talk about it enough. Husbands, love your wives. I'm here to let you know, whenever my wife walk in the room, I light up. I don't care, man. man. She's just coming home from work. I'm looking for her. I, you know I can barely hear, but sometimes I can hear the garage go, oh, she's coming in. She's coming in. I still try to get my little self together. Here she come, and I can't wait for her to peer around the corner. I'm in my office working. She peers around that corner, and I see glory. I say, thank you, Jesus. That's my wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I like how Marvin Gaye said it. I'm too busy thinking about my baby. That I ain't got time for no anacondas. You didn't hear what I said. Some of y'all got it. But you got women out here today who know that men are aroused by sight. And so they try to bait men with their bodies to get men to drool after, uh, do porno after these women. And they're missing what God created them for. God didn't create you to go down the gutter of immorality that way. He created you to enjoy the fires of sex in marriage, not anywhere else, period. Because the fires outside of marriage, they'll burn you up. But man, when you're in love with your wife like this prophet was, praise God. So this passage encourages me to keep on making my wife the desire of my eyes. Praise God. I got pictures of my wife in my office. I got pictures of my wife on my computer. I got pictures of my wife in my car. I got pictures of my wife in my wallet. Why? Because I'm an eye creature. So that I'm not looking at other women. I'm looking at my wife. Oh, I wish more men saw their wives as the delight of their... You say, Pastor, I don't know, man. She done gained a few pounds. So have you. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. It's about the beauty of the inner heart. Man, 
And if she's not radiating right, it may be that you aren't covering her properly. So, yeah, yeah, it's work, isn't it? Yeah, but you said you wanted to be like Jesus, didn't you? Well, here's an opportunity to love your wife as he loves his bride. Well, 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 this passage is also puzzling to me. It's puzzling because sometimes God takes our loved ones from us without any explanation or without it making any sense. God will take them away and sometimes he'll do it suddenly. Ezekiel didn't have time to prepare. There's no mention that she had been sick. No, God took her immediately. And then this brother went out and preached the Sunday morning service, went home, and his wife died. So that's puzzling to me. And then on top of that, God says to him, I don't even want you to grieve about it. Man, that, that, whoo! Well, yesterday as I was pouring over this message and praying it through, my brother called me. We had been praying for my sister-in-law's, his wife's grandson for quite some time, a baby that had been born with some physical challenges. We had been praying, and there looked like some miracles were happening along the way. But the Lord decided to take uh, the baby boy home yesterday. And so as I sat with my brother listening, and he was telling me how his wife, this is her grandchild, how much it breaks her heart. It's like, oh, Lord. And then when I hung up the phone with him, I got a text from Pastor John. They had gone to Memphis, he and Harmony and the kids, so that Harmony could spend time with her grandmother before her grandmother went to glory. And he texted me no more than five minutes after I hung up with my brother saying that her grandmother had passed away. And it's just puzzling to me whether they be babies or those who are older. And as Pastor Darrell once taught me many years ago, The reason why it's not natural is because death is not natural. It was never meant to be that way. We want to live. So when people die, it doesn't make sense to us, especially, and I'm going to be real. I'm coming right down your street right here right now. When God took Ezekiel's wife, he took a good woman home and left some not so good women alive. And sometimes we look at the not so good people that God leaves alive and wonder why he takes the good people home. Maybe you don't think that, but I think that. Why do good people die young? Why do godly people get cancer and not get healed and die or healed in this life? But some of the most craziest heathens you ever want to know then drank their liver out, going to live to be 90 years old, standing over our ashes and whatnot. But Ecclesiastes talks about those questions. When we see life not panning out according to our standards. But what I love about Ezekiel, which is, again, puzzling to me, he obeyed God without hesitating and without asking any questions. He didn't back talk. He didn't tell God what he thought. He didn't tell God how it was a bad decision. He did like Abraham when God had finally given him Isaac. After all of those years of waiting and waiting and waiting, he finally gets Isaac. And then God says, give him back to me. Go sacrifice him up on the hill. And he didn't argue with God. He had learned to obey God even when God doesn't make sense to him. And when he went up that mountain and 
Isaac said, where's the ram, the lamb for the offering? Abram said, the Lord will provide. And as he laid his son on the altar and bound him and was about to go through with it, God stopped him in midair. It says, now I know that you fear me. And then he opened his eyes and there was a ram in the bush. And the ram was slain in the place of Isaac. And when Ezekiel was told, he did not debate. He didn't argue. He just said, yes, Lord, she's in your hands. The Bible doesn't say he had hatred towards God, animosity towards God. Just like when when, when something tough happens to us, when our beloved ones die. Sometimes we use that as an excuse to go off. To just, I'm going for, God didn't, he wasn't there for me. So I'm going out and I'm living like hell. And now we're proving how selfish we are because it really never was about our loved one that died. It was about us. But Ezekiel, his relationship with God didn't fall off. As a matter of fact, he got stronger because he trusted God even when God didn't make sense to him. If you're waiting for God to make sense to you, you're going to be waiting for a long time. Newsflash. God doesn't have to make sense to us to be sovereign over us. And he doesn't need our permission before he does what he's going to do. He didn't even have to tell Ezekiel what he was going to do. But since it was part of the ministry, he filled the prophet in. What Job went through only made sense to God. It didn't make sense to Job to lose his children, to lose his finances, to lose his health. The only person it made sense to was God. But at least Job had the wherewithal to know that since God, listen to this, owned everything, God has the right to require anything at any time. And that's why if we have good theology holding us in the the middle of a bad time, we can step back like Job and say, the Lord gives. And the Lord takes away. (laughs) Blessed be the name of the Lord. But we're not that spiritually developed yet because When God takes something away, maybe that marriage didn't work out or we lost that job, that career opportunity didn't come together. Something, it doesn't work. Rather than saying, bless you anyhow, we'll curse him. We'll doubt him because it doesn't make sense to us the way he's operating. The Bible says in Psalm 116, Verse 15, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Stop. Lord, death doesn't seem precious to me. When my loved ones leave me, it doesn't feel precious. How can you dare say it's precious? It's agony for me. Well, wait a minute. Let me try to see this thing from God's view since I am seated in heavenly places with him. Let me seek those things which are above where Christ is. Lord, give me your vision on this. How can you say it's precious when you took this man's wife away when this man is feeling agony? Well, it must be, it must be that God knows something about the afterlife that we don't know in this life. It must be precious because God knows something about heaven where every tear, you ain't with me, will be wiped from every eye. 
Where in heaven, where the Bible lets us know, eye hasn't even seen. That weeping eye has never seen. The ear has never heard. It hasn't entered into the hearts of men. The things that God has prepared for those who love him. So when Ezekiel's wife crossed that threshold, my God, and opened up her eyes in the glory of the Lord. And look at how merciful God was. He says, I'm going to take her with one stroke. It's not going to be many strokes. She's not going to linger. I'm going to take her home quickly. And sometimes when you're praying for your loved ones, Lord, let them live, let them live. He'll talk to you and say, I'm taking them home. And then you shift your prayer and say, Lord, make it quickly. Make it painless. I know some of you don't pray like that because you're just so, you know, sprinkling oil on everything. But this is not the life. The life to come is the life. And even if God does heal and we pray that he heals, we're still going to die of something because we're still under the fall of Adam. But Jesus is coming to make everything new and there'll be no more sickness, no more curse. So when my daddy went on to heaven, after I stopped praying, Lord, I I was praying, heal him, heal him. And then the Lord was like, "Mm, it's time for him. And he spoke that in my spirit, let him go. I let him go. And I started thinking about my dad, who both legs were amputated. I thought about him dancing throughout heaven with golden slippers on streets of gold. I stopped making it about me, and I started thinking about my daddy. Oh, yeah. It's precious to God. I like how the old Baptist preacher would say, Earth knows no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Oh, they had some truth. They, they knew what they were talking about. That God is still good even when things are bad. I don't have a word that can fix it. I don't have a little antidote that'll make you feel better when you're suffering. Job's friends did good. Sitting with him for seven days, they messed up when they opened up their mouth and tried to explain what God was doing in the earth and they could not do it. So sometimes just shut up. Sit with your friends. Hold your friends. Pray for your friends. Don't try to fix this because it can't be fixed. Let God do it. But then finally, man, this passage is challenging to me. Because a prophet speaks the message as the mouthpiece of God. But sometimes God will make the prophet become the message. Oh, that hurts, y'all. It's one thing to get up and speak, and that's tough enough because you can get stoned in a minute. But then to become the message, to do something physically, demonstratively, so that people can see the message, God requires a lot of his leaders. It's a high level of commitment because leaders, we make sacrifices to serve God and the people. And sometimes God will hurt the leader to help the people. He will crush the leader. He'll crush the pastor. He'll take us through stuff so you can watch how we walk through stuff. Follow me as I follow Christ. That just ain't up on the mountaintop. That's down in the valley too. May your leaders be examples and models for you. But you don't have to be in a pulpit to be a leader. You're a leader in your home. 
You're a leader as a single parent. Your children are watching how you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. They want to know if you know that, man, I don't need to fear any evil. Why? Because he's with me. He's got me. His rod and his staff, they're comforting me. Matter of fact, the Lord got the nerve to prepare a table before me in the presence of everything the enemy is trying to do. They need to know that that is something you live and not just something you quote. So in order for your faith to become stronger, you got to go through something. No wonder Ezekiel's name means God strengthened because he couldn't fulfill this assignment without the strength of God. Sister Denise buried her daughter. Oh, my. Only God gave and is giving her and her family the strength to walk through that. I've seen the Holy Spirit hold up Sister Artie. I've seen the Holy Spirit hold up Brother Stu Southern when the Lord took the delight of his eyes home named Peggy. And it's in those moments where you see the power of God upon the man or woman of God sustaining them in those moments where it's hard, when God just doesn't make sense. Ezekiel got through that. There's no sign that he got married again. Uh, Like my mother who said, she ain't going to marry again. My mother still wears her wedding rings. She's like, "Mm mm-mm. Harold was the first, and like Jesus, Harold was the last. That's it for Betty. Betty is not getting married again. I've been trying to hook my mother up. I'm like, hey, Ma, what about that old dude sitting in the corner over there? What about him? That Geritol saint over there. What do you think about him, Ma? She's like, mm-hmm. And then I'll see her look just a little bit. No, 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 no. She don't want to get married because my daddy was the delight of her eyes. And for her, nobody else. She, oh. But Israel needed to get the message. Y'all delighted too much in the temple and not enough in God. So I've got to take Ezekiel's wife like I'm going to take that temple so that you can see me again. And when it happens, you will know that I am the Lord. Well, how do we apply this message? Well, if you're married, man, enjoy life with your spouse while you can. If you're married, okay? Marriage will either make you or break you. It's something God uses as a mirror to show you yourself. But we want to move the mirror and just focus on the faults of our spouse. But many times the spouse is simply a reflection of us. And he uses the marriage to increase our prayer life and our dependency on God. And so often we just want to give up in the marriage rather than enduring through the pain to get to the joy on the other side. You once had joy. You can get joy again. Priorities have gotten out of whack. Let's get priorities back in place. The Lord first and everything and everybody else second. Because usually it's not about a husband and a wife. It's about the husband's relationship with Jesus, the wife's relationship with Jesus. But they allow one another like idols to get in the way. So God uses that to humble you, to repent, to say, go back to God. But we've gotten so entrenched in the flesh. We've gotten this dance down of she does this, I do that. He does that, she does that. We got this dance of destruction. But God is like, hold on, time. Mm -mm. Both of y'all need to start dancing with me a little bit more. When you learn how to dance with me, oh, you can dance with the other, even if the other don't want to dance with you. 
Because because I'm dancing with you as you're dancing with somebody who don't want to dance with you. Eventually, they're going to start getting in the rhythm with where you at because you're in rhythm with where I am. Pastor, I don't want to hear that. You're going to hear that as long as you're at Strong Tower Bible Church. You know why? Because with the living, there is hope. If you're alive and your wife is alive, there's hope today. But above all, God is alive. And because he's alive, there's hope. Man, shoot. Get your marriage back. Ecclesiastes 9.9, enjoy life with your wife. Do it, man. Take a trip with her. Do something. Make him something. Surprise him. Come on, put some spice back in that thing. Because you don't know when God's going to call that person home. So live each day to the full. Can I get half an amen? Say A. I'll take an A if I can't get the amen. Another thing, man, trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Okay, it doesn't make sense to you. Next Man, electricity don't make sense to me. I know Ben Franklin and them cats discovered it, but I still don't know how you flick that switch and I get a light on in here. I'm not an electrician. I had one at my house yesterday. He's looking at stuff I don't look at. I don't know electricity, but I sure enjoy it. You're not going to understand God, but please enjoy him. He doesn't owe you an explanation. He's God. And the fact that you want to know is just the fact that you want to control everything. But you're not the controller, which is why his ways are higher than yours. Just step back and let God be God because he is going to be God whether you let him be God or not. So you might as well yield to him and stop fighting with him. He gives and he takes away. Bless your name. And then finally, man, believe God will give you strength To make it through whatever tough assignment he calls you to. Some of you got a tough assignment. It's tough. Some people get diseases in their body. It's tough. Some people struggle with poverty. It's tough. Some people struggle with learning disabilities. It's tough. Some people come from broken homes. It's tough. Some people have had loved ones die on them unexplainably. It's tough. But God is still there. God is still good. He won't put more on you than you can bear. Oh my, he wants to show you his power being made perfect in your weakness. But I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be weak. Oh, but if you try to do it, I can't do it. Recognize you can't do it. And now I'll come through and I'll do it in you. I'll do it through you. I'll do it for you. I'll do it around you. Oh God, give me strength. And today I want to pray for Christians who are really going through something right now. As the worship team comes back, Islam is evil. The true principles of Islam that are found in the Quran as dictated by Muhammad, speak of showing no mercy to the infidels, to the Christians and the Jews. True Islam, as explained in the Quran, says that if people do not submit to Islam, and the name Islam means to submit, so if you don't submit to Islam, then you are killed. And it's a religion that gives people a relationship with their God, and the right to kill people who don't submit to their God. 
And I know that there are peace-loving Muslims, but I'm talking about, man, let's really get into what it stands for. And this thing comes from Satan. And there are people right now who, in the name of God, this is so much more than politics. It's a religious, spiritual battle. Who are killing Christians and non-Christians for the sport of it. And I received an email this week from people who are on the ground saying what maybe CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they don't have the information or maybe it's not a part of their agenda to communicate it, but people on the ground are saying, yes, children are being beheaded. Yes, women are being raped. Yes, homes, villages, fields are being burned down. And what these people who are fleeing are asking, yes, America, would you help, Lord, Help our nation. Help other nations. America can't be the only one to try to police the world. Help other nations to put an end to this. But not only that, watch over your people. Give them the kind of courage in the face of martyrdom that you gave the early saints, where they feared not death. Because when you see this stuff going on, You talk about things not making sense in the Bible. Before Jesus comes and makes things better, it's going to get worse. These are the birth pains to the return of Jesus. Where he said there would be pestilence and war everywhere. But still, we want to pray that God would watch over his people. That he would protect them and keep them. And whether they go into heaven because of persecution, as we see in the book of Revelation, Were they able to live? May it never be said that the body of Christ did not pray for the body of Christ. Please stand to your feet at this time. Father God, there are so many things in this life that do not make sense. I don't even know why you let me live. You could have let me die a long time ago because Ezekiel said in chapter 18, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. Lord, I should have died physically when I was doing junk out there, even in Christ, being stupid. But you were merciful to me then, just as you're merciful to me now. You let me live. And I thank you, Lord. I pray right now, Lord, for people in our body that are struggling with the fact that you're not making sense. Why does somebody else get the promotion? Why does somebody else get the husband or the wife? Why does somebody else get the child? Why does somebody else get the scholarship? Why does somebody else get healed and not me? Lord, I pray that we'll look beyond what you're doing with other people and look to what you're doing with us. Just like Peter, when you said to John that John, if he may still be alive when you come back and Peter said, what about me? And Jesus, you said, what is that to you? What I do with John is my business. You follow me. Lord, you're saying to us today, follow you, follow you, no matter what you're doing with other people. We just want to say thank you that you love us, that you made a way for us. And as we say today, your love never fails. It never gives up. It never, ever, ever runs out on us. Your grace is sufficient for what we're going through. I pray for my sister-in-law that you give her strength in the name of Jesus as she buries her grandson. Pray that you would give harmony, strength today as she has to bury her grandmother. 
and give others of us in this body who have walked through death and laid loved ones to rest. Give us a peace that will surpass our understanding. Give us a song of joy that we never thought we could sing. For those where a marriage has died, give them strength and joy in the midnight hour. And we pray for the men, women, and children in Iraq that are fleeing from ISIS. First, Lord, lift up a standard against the enemy. Raise up military might against these criminals, against these barbarians, against this evil spirit of murder. Lift up a standard, Lord. But not only there, but lift up a standard with what we see going on in Israel. Lift up a standard for what is going on in Ferguson, Missouri. Lift up a standard of righteousness and peace for what's going on in our homes. And have mercy, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Oh God, only you can get glory out of something that's painful. Only you can get glory out of something that hurts. I pray that we'll trust you. I pray that we'll wait until our help comes. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.